Hello and welcome back to another episode of Fall Classic Rewind, the stories behind the World Series. Here it is, finally covering the 1980 matchup between the Philadelphia Phillies and the Kansas City Royals. Going to be covering game one here today uh, at Veterans Stadium. We got an interesting matchup in, in terms of pitchers. I misspoke in the, in the previous episode when I said it was going to be Larry Gura going game one. It's actually going to be Dennis Leonard. Uh, and then the Phillies, interestingly enough, uh, are going with the rookie, Bob Walk. We'll get into the matchups and sort of everything leading up. I mean, of course, if you haven't gotten a chance to listen the previous episode, I covered the very thrilling, very entertaining three-game series between the Royals and the Yankees, with the Royals becoming victorious, finally sort of vanquishing their big foe uh, in the Bronx. And in the previous two episodes, I covered the amazing, incredible, wild NLCS. Encourage you to go look at that between the Phillies and the Astros that had four extra inning games and were just wild swings, uh, incredible battles. And I mean, that's where it leads us here is the Royals are in pretty good positions setting up of like, all right, you know, although they're going to be starting this series on the road, again, sort of an interesting thing. The Royals and the Yankees had better records than their uh, National League counterparts. However, the National League was going to be hosting. And kind of to both teams' benefit, although the National League is going to be hosting the World Series, they're going to be playing strictly by American League rules, DH only, no pitchers hitting. Um, and so, again, they it wasn't until, I forget exactly what year it was that Major League Baseball instituted. I mean, they used to do the just flipping back and forth. And then at some point, it was record determined who hosted the World Series. And then, of course, there was the whole, you know, trying to add excitement to the All-Star game in terms of, oh, whoever wins the All-Star game will end up hosting the World Series. Then they did away with that. And and we have what what where it should be now, which is, hey, whoever of the two teams has the better record has home field advantage in the World Series. But, but – they didn't do it back then, and they would also just alternate the rules. I mean, in this, again, the point I was trying to make is, at another instance, they alternated, they, they went to, oh, well, if it's in an NL ballpark, we're going to play by NL rules, pitchers hit, and then if we're in an AL ballpark, we play with a DH. So playing by two different sets of rules within a series is a little complicated. I imagine that probably happened once interleague play was introduced. But uh, I might have to do a little more background research on that for you. Anyway, before we get into what what's leading up to this incredible matchup between the Phillies and and the Royals, and what ends up being a really awesome, entertaining uh, game one, um, we're going to hear a quick word from our sponsor because, of course, we are now back on NBC. We we had ABC and then of course with the Royals, we were doing sort of we had the local broadcast, but ABC covered the championship championship series and we're on to NBC. So we're going to have Joe Garagiola and our old friend Tony Kubek and we'll have an interesting guest for who is also in the booth. 
someone who is familiar to this show, someone who we've covered before. And we'll get to that uh, after a word from our sponsor. NBC, proud as a peacock. After the World Series, be sure to watch the very special, all-new, two-part episodes of BJ and the Bear. After a long haul in his big red and white Kenworth, BJ and his chimp, the Bear, go on a three-day bender and wind up in Sheriff Lobo's jail cell. There, BJ has flashbacks to the time he was a prisoner of war in Vietnam. We're back in that Hanoi pit of hell, Mitch. <laughs> BJ misinterprets when Sheriff Lobo tells him to better get Mako. He thinks Sheriff Lobo is actually Mako, BJ's Viet Cong prison camp leader. And Bear is his Hanoi Hilton prison mate, Mitch. BJ and the Bear escape Sheriff Lobo and take off with the twin blondes Candy and Randy on a wild chase across what BJ thinks is the DMZ. But it's really Fresno. Hang on, Mitch. By the way, those are great disguises, Jerry and Mike. Who's Jerry? Yeah, and who's me? Why, you are, dummies. As Sheriff Lobo and his squad close in, only the bear can snap BJ out of his delusions. He forces him into a deadly game of Russian roulette to try to break his pal's fever dream. What? You want me to put three bullets in the chamber? That's insane, Mitch! What do you mean you're not Mitch? Why are you a monkey? Oh, I mean chimp. Watch The Bear Hunter, a very special two-part BJ and the Bear, Tuesdays at 9 on NBC, after the World Series. NBC, proud as a peacock. So the other guy joining the broadcast is going to be future Hall of Famer, Tom Seaver. We, of course, the very first series we covered were the 1969, the amazing Mets, Tom Seaver help, helping lead them to a World Series. Um, and he's, you know, very much a veteran presence at this point. I believe he was still with the Reds. I don't think he had been traded back to New York just yet. Um, but, you know, so obviously covering, you know, he's very much aware of this Phillies team, uh, not as much aware of the Royals team because uh, he hadn't uh, gone over to the American League at that point yet in his career, uh, but one of the more well-established stars. Um, and uh, he's certainly someone who they were going to for, like, trying to get inside a pitcher's head of, well, how do you approach hitters? How do you approach Mike Schmidt? How do you approach George Brett? What would you do? Uh, and, and it's always sometimes kind of interesting of, you know, a guy like Tom Seaver, because he's blessed with such amazing stuff and has such amazing craft of doesn't always give the most insightful answer of like, oh, well, I'm going to try to throw in hard or, 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 or mix things up like this. And it's like, well, yeah, it might work for you, Tom, but it might not work for others. Um, anyway, it's a very interesting matchup. You know, the Phillies had a dogfight, and it was, I mean, I'm telling you, 
they are exhausted, especially their pitching. Their bullpen's exhausted. Tug McGraw pitched all five games. You know, they just had to battle it out. They were kind of, you know, they obviously had a little bit of a reprieve. I think they had maybe a day or two before they ended up starting this World Series in Philadelphia. But, man, I mean, Carlton uh, pitched twice in the series. I mean, Christensen pitched twice in the series. Dick Ruthven pitched twice in the series, had to pitch. And so that leaves us here in game one where they're turning to a rookie, a guy who didn't even pitch at all in the previous uh, in the previous series. And that's going to be rookie Bob Walk, who, um, you know, they, they had, they had drafted him. He was the type of guy who, where he got drafted about five or six times uh, and then finally signed uh, when the Phillies drafted him in 1976. Uh, and so he came up, he was a 23 year old um, sort of came up in the season and really didn't have that great of a year. Um, you know, he went 11 and seven and 27 starts, but had a four, five, seven ERA. Um, and, uh, you know, so the below average ERA didn't really strike guys out, walked a lot of people. One thing he did do pretty well is he kept the ball in the ballpark. Now he did that in the regular season. We'll see whether that holds against, you know, a, a really kind of almost high flying offense in terms of the Kansas City Royals. The Royals, on the other hand, we're going to turn to Dennis Leonard, and we'll get to him in a moment. Uh, but then the Phillies also, you know, taking advantage of, um, of, Lizins- of of having a DH. They were going to have Lazinski at DH, put Lonnie Smith out in left field. That allows them to switch their lineup with Lonnie Smith leading off, Rose in the second slot, Mike Schmidt at third, move Bake McBride to the cleanup spot. Uh, Lazinski at DH, Maddox, Trio, Boa, and Bob Boone hitting in the nine hole. And obviously, you know, the Royals, we're going to see a different lineup for them too with facing the right-hander. We, you know, against the Yankees, we didn't see them face a single right-hander. Uh, but we're going to see Willie Wilson leading off and left. Hal McRae is going to be the DH. George Brett, Akins, Porter, Otis, Clint Hurdle in right field instead of Wathen, Frank White, and then UL Washington in the nine spot instead of up in the order. So, again, (laughs) we're already seeing sort of things change around, and uh, we're going to hear from our our broadcasters here a little pregame on what they expect to happen uh, leading in to this series and, and sort of mentioning where the two teams are and how different their series were. On a cool, crisp night, 48 degrees of temperature at game time, some 65,000 wild fans jammed in here as they are ready. And they're wondering, are the Phillies ready? Hi, everybody. I'm Joe Garagiola. And the big question seems to be, are the Phillies worn out from the battle they had to wage to get here? Are the Kansas City Royals too rested? Well, as far as I'm concerned, in a World Series, that's really not a factor. It always boils down to hitting. Pitching, defense, and speed. Well, we have with us this year Tom Seaver, the Cincinnati Reds in the booth. And last I asked Tom about the pitching. Well, Joe, I think the key to the pitching, if Kansas City comes in here and can set up the pitching exactly the way they want to, they have Dennis Leonard going, they are best pitcher, and behind them, behind him, they have a very strong bullpen. 
The Phillies, on the other hand, are starting Bob Walk, really their number five pitcher, and after the games in the Astrodome, a very tired bullpen. So I think going into game one, pitching-wise, Kansas City has a distinct advantage. All right, and my sidekick, Tony Kubek, will be here as always. Tony, how about you and your thoughts? Well, just a couple of observations, Joe. It'll be the first time in World Series history, two rookie managers, Dallas Green of the Phillies and, of course, Jim Fry of the Royals. First time ever, artificial service all over the field. Every World Series game will be played that way. We've got a D8 this year, but I think the key might be the speed, both teams with excellent speed. We could see a lot of extra base hits. I really think it's going to be a high-scoring World Series, and the team that uses that speed most aggressively, defensively, and at the plate and on the bases might end up with the World's Championship ring, the first for either team. Okay, Tony. Well, we made a case for both ball clubs, but I think there's a great baseball line that really covers the subject, and it goes something like this, that the expected is always happening when it's least expected, and vice versa. As you saw, or as you heard more properly, Tony Kubek mentioned the speed of these two teams going to play a major role. I've mentioned it a couple times over the past uh, few episodes. These were very similar teams uh, and kind of followed a very similar path, you know, switching out some, some different parts. Um, but man, uh, and we're going to see a lot of different heroes just in this own game here. Uh, I mean, we're going to see different guys like Willie Aikens, Big Bride, Bob Boone uh, come up with uh, with huge moments for their teams, or even a guy like Amos Otis and Hal McRae, um, you know, guys who were sort of longstanding, but also guys who kind of came into new roles. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, is a, this was going to be a dogfight of a World Series. Um, and, you know, we... Uh, it's interesting to hear Tom Seaver mention that, oh, Dennis Leonard, the uh, the best pitcher for the Royals. I'm not sure if I agree with that. I think Gura was a bit better. I mean, and, and again, it's just sort of lots of times they were wrapped in the traditional stats. So, of course, looking at wins. I mean, Dennis Leonard had won 20 games three out of the past four years. In many ways, you would think of him as the ace. But I think I think Gura was a little bit better this year. Uh, and, of course, we're going to see Gura in Game 2. That's going to be a lefty-lefty matchup against lefty. Uh, you know, If you're a Phillies fan, you know who I'm talking about. Um, but uh, it, it's just kind of interesting to, to hear. And, and, you know, and but to his credit, Dennis Leonard, yeah, he was a multi-time 20-game winner. He was a workhorse. Uh, and, you know, again, sort of a coin flip between who do you choose between uh, Leonard and... Uh, and Gura. Um, and, you know, we're actually going to hear a little bit of insight here um, just after after we get through the top of the first inning. You know, I mentioned a rookie, I mean, a rookie starting off a World Series. That's a pretty, that's a pretty tall order that you're asking for a guy. I mean, I think it had only been done twice before that a rookie was starting game one of the World Series. I believe one was like Gro uh, Grover Cleveland Alexander. Uh, and another guy I think might have been in 1952. I, I'll try to look it up on the on the back end of this. Um, but he actually, he acquits himself pretty well in the first inning. Uh, is able to strike out Willie Wilson. on a, And Bob Walk, he threw a hard fastball. He was able to come in, and, and this is one of the things that they sort of mentioned was a lot of the young Phillies pitchers, they came in and threw hard. They came at guys. That was sort of Dallas Green's pitching philosophy. Uh, interestingly enough, 
the Royals knew all about that because one of their pitching coaches, one of their coaches was a long time Phillies minor league pitching coach. So this little, little nugget of information there. Uh, he's then able to work around a walk to Hal McCray. I was able to get George Brett to uh, pop out to third and then Willie Akins to fly out to center. And so that's going to bring on the Phillies and that's going to bring on Dennis Leonard uh, before we get uh, into what happens here. Here's a little sort of insight. They interviewed Dennis Leonard before the game and he's talking about sort of what his approach is going to be facing this Phillies lineup. Oh, basically, you'd like to know the guys in the lineup that can supply the power. And, you know, the Phillies have Schmidt and Lezinski. Uh, you know, there might be a situation with a couple of men on base where, you know, if there's an open base, you might not want to give in to them too much and, you know, let them beat you with the long ball. But, you know, basically, uh, you know, you want to know their strengths and weaknesses. Uh, you want to know how the other teams try to pitch them a little bit. And I guess we'll get into that a little bit more in the scouting report. But, you know, basically, I feel my biggest thing to know is the ones that can hit the home runs and, you know, try to neutralize that power. You can hear there that Dennis Leonard's plan is to, make sure that he's attacking hitters. And then when facing Mike Schmidt, the best idea is, well, make sure no one else is on base. Um, and, you know, that's definitely the, that's going to probably try to be the strategy for the Phillies pitchers as well as, hey, make sure no one's on base when George Brett is up so that we can be aggressive with him. I, and it's very much when you're thinking about, you know, those guys that you circle in the lineup of, oh, well, we're not going to let this guy beat us. Well, you you know, he's only one of nine. You got to make sure that your focus is everywhere. Uh, you know, you really got to battle in for, you know, to make sure you don't make those mistakes. Um, and, oh, hey, in the first inning, no mistakes for Dennis Leonard. Able to get Lonnie Smith to ground out to Frank White. It's able to get Pete Rose to bounce out to UL Washington and then gets Mike Schmidt swinging on four pitches. Uh, gets him to uh, to swing through a fastball, really kind of overpowers him there. And it's a good start for Dennis Leonard. And so that brings us to the top of the second. Daryl Porter works a great at bat, a great at bat, takes some really tough pitches, including he gets like on a 2-2 count, he gets a slider that just misses inside. Uh, but Porter's able to work a walk. And that brings up Amos Otis. Long-time uh, Royal. He, he's now a veteran. Uh, but, you know, this was a guy who was, you know, would hit 30 home runs. Tremendous, tremendous, uh, you, know, def, you know, reputation as a defender uh, out there. Um, and here he was, his first World Series at bat, looking to do some damage. Two balls and one strike. Nobody out. Well hit, left field, Smith going back. That ball's out of here. Home run for Amos Otis. And his crowd, some 65,000, really still, as Otis seemed to reach out and hit that ball. Tommy, looked like a breaking ball to you? Looked like a breaking ball to me, Tony. It looked like he just reached out and, and punched the ball. I, I, and when he first hit it, I thought it was going to be a routine fly to the left field. Of course, the ball carries extremely well on this ballpark, but it certainly doesn't look with the swing that he had like he had it, hit it home run power enough to hit it out. And Lonnie Smith gave up on it early. You bet he did. You know, I think it's deceiving as we look at this one go out of the park for two-run home run. Many people feel the Phillies have more power on their team. But once you get by Schmidt, who had the big year, led the major leagues with 48, you go down to Luzinski with 19. 
another ballpark that the Royals play at in Kansas City, it is much more difficult to hit home runs out of. So their power could be deceiving, especially against right-handed pitchers. What a moment there for Amos Otis, your first World Series at bat. Uh, and going yard to left field. Amos Otis and Tom Seaver were actually teammates briefly. Uh, Amos Otis was originally in the Red Sox organization and then brought over uh, to the Mets. Uh, and he was actually sort of, uh, you know, was initially a shortstop. They wanted him to play third base, but eventually moved to the outfield. Uh, and, you know, the, the Mets already sort of had a crowded outfield. Uh, I believe traded him away for Bob Johnson to the Royals and he really took off and blossomed with the Royals. I mean, having just tremendous, I mean, his first year with the Royals, he ended up leading the league in doubles. Uh, and then a couple years after that, 1973, in fact, he ended up finishing third in MVP, 26 home runs, 93 RBI, hitting 300. Also had a season, he stole 52 bases, won multiple gold gloves. Uh, and, you know, and then also was great in 1978, 1980, actually, was really the worst year of his career to that point. Uh, you know, at 33 years of age, average fell down to 250, only hit 10 home runs. I believe he was dealing with some injuries as well. Uh, but there he is, first uh, first at bat in the World Series, hits actually his first career postseason home run. What a moment for Amos Otis. And I'll mention, you know, for Bob Walk, uh, only the third starter in only the third rookie to ever start game one of the World Series. I mentioned Grover uh, Cleveland Alexander. The other one, actually, interestingly enough, is uh, Joe Black of the Brooklyn Dodgers. Uh, was He was a Negro League pitcher uh, um, throughout the 40s, uh, but he didn't make his major league debut until 1952. And so he pitched, ended up pitching against the Yankees. He actually won Rookie of the Year uh, in 1952 as well had barely started, but there he was starting game one of the World Series. How about that? Um, he had a little bit of a, a better uh, start than uh, <laughs> than uh, Bob Walk here. Um, and man, I mean, because that's just a, that's just kind of an intimidating thing uh, of where, man, your 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 first your first time out there, you end up walking the guy and then you hang a breaking ball and it's gone. You're down to nothing. Uh, in the bottom of the second, Dennis Leonard continues rolling on, but not without a little bit of trouble. I mean, one thing to mention with both of these teams is with their their outfield defense, save left field for the Phillies, but the outfield defense is really outstanding. A really tremendous speed when you're thinking about Gary Maddox, a perennial gold glove winner. Uh, Amos Otis, former gold glove winner. Willie Wilson, considered to be the fastest guy. And here is Willie Wilson showing off his speed when the bull puts a drive into one. Two balls and two strikes on Lazinski. You saw Porter give that fastball sign, the outside part of the plate. Hit the left center field, well hit, way back, way back. And making the catch, Willie Wilson. That's one of those, John, you talk to the Royals players or the opposition players in the American League, you will perk up your head and look for the center fielder because Otis looked like he was closer to the ball initially and Willie Wilson seems to come out of nowhere. You've heard it before, but he is, I think, the fastest man in baseball. Mark, you've got some tough ones in the, in the National League, I know. Martinez, his coach, said it's like having a four-man outfield like they have in softball. We've talked many times 
about the importance of defense, but especially outfield defense, you know, taking away those, those potential extra base hits, how many runs and how many pitches that saves for guys. I mean, we saw that in, when we, when we go back to the 1969 world series with the greats of Paul Blair and Tommy Agee uh, running around making catches. And of course, Ron Swoboda and then 75 Dewey Evans, Freddie Lynn, uh, even Yaz out there. And, and, uh, um, Cesar Geronimo, you know, it's just one of those things of when you're thinking about that, that outfield defense, it really matters. And you see Willie Wilson ball that's carrying out to the track. And, and to mention the ball does carry, uh, at veteran stadium. It's pretty big, not as big as when we go, uh, to Kansas city, Kansas city is a much kind of bigger ballpark. Um, but you know, at veteran stadium, the ball carries to the gaps and so you need to be able to have speed to run it down. And the Royals had that in spades. So we're going to continue on. And man, more trouble for Bob Walk starting out here. Uh, he's able to get Willie Wilson to ground out. Um, but Hal McRae, there goes Hal McRae again. Uh, he gets a single to center field. Um, and then with George Brett at the plate, actually Bob Walk, I mean, he throws a nasty, nasty down and in, it's either a slider or a curve, makes George Brett look foolish, uh, and then gets ahead of Willie Akins, 1-2. But Willie Akins, you know, he's the type of guy who he's looking for fastballs, he's hunting for fastballs, and he's hunting for damage. You hear Tom Seaver talking about this is a guy who gets off his A swing. You know, he's 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 going up there, and he's, and he's hacking. And, well, when he gets a pitch in the zone, he can do real damage. Holding high, deep right center field. McBride going back, Maddox going back, home run! That ball just got up there and just kept going. And Willie Mays Aikens just broke into his home run trot. He's just now getting to third base, and I don't blame him. He's going to enjoy it all the way. 4 nothing, Kansas City. Tom, we're seeing on those two home runs, and I'm not demeaning either this one by Aikens or Amos Soda for how well the ball carries this ballpark. Here it is again. Well, I can tell you from past experience, and you can see the awesome swing that Aikens has, that the ball will carry very well in this ballpark. Maddox was way over in left center, and he did hit that ball right where the defense wasn't playing. Even if the ball had stayed in the ballpark, it would have been an extra base hit, even for Aikens, who was not a fast runner. Ball a little bit down in, wasn't it? So it's four to nothing, and here is Daryl Porter, and it's ball one. Bob Walk, 1980, gave up eight home runs. He's been touched for two of them tonight. In the second inning, a walk to Porter, and a home run by Otis. Now base hit by McRae, a home run by Akins. Willie Mays Akins. What a drive there. What a pickup he was uh, for the Royals this year, really blossoming in that role hitting behind George Brett, uh, being able to do damage. And just like that, it's a 4 nothing game, and you've got a rookie on the mound. I mean, that's just one of those things of, as a manager, you're like, oh, what's, you know, we were already kind of behind the eight ball with how taxed our pitching staff was in the previous series. We've only had one day of rest, and now this is happening. Uh, and, you know, you already see the bullpen going. I think Dickie Knowles was warming up down in the pen and it's, it's only the third inning. And, you know, if the outlook from the Phillies right now is, whew, hey, 
uh, Bob Walk, you got to figure it out or someone's going to need to come in and figure it out. Um, and I mean, just what a, what a swing from Willie Akins. I mean, interesting, the Phillies, you know, the, the, the Astros were a very, very good offensive team. Uh, and you know, they didn't exactly struggle scoring, uh, in the series against the Phillies, but they hadn't hit a home run. Uh, the Phillies so far in the five games had not, had not allowed a homer. And now they've allowed two, uh, right off the bat. Uh, and trouble would continue for Bob Walk this inning. He ends up walking Daryl Porter. Amos Otis gets a single to third ground on, on, on a ground ball. Uh, is able to beat it out. Kind of a tough play for Mike Schmidt. And that brings up Clint Hurdle. Uh, and play happens here that you can hear them mention it. I believe completely changes the momentum of this game. Base runners, Porter at second, Otis at first, Clint Hurdle. Base hit to left field, Daryl Porter rounding third, here comes the throw, they got a chance, they got it, easy. A throw by Lonnie Smith to Bob Boone, and that may be the play that will turn it around for these Philadelphia Phillies, who seem to be playing the first couple of innings under a little bit of ether. Here comes Lonnie Smith. As Porter rounded third base, he stumbled and broke stride. I'm not saying that's why he not get it, because he's hot by 15, 20 feet. Alani Smith threw a rainbow, but he still gets Porter. Right there. Right there, he broke stride. Gordy McKenzie setting him home, but no run score. Now, that play wasn't as thrilling as some of the other outfield relays and runners we've seen thrown out the plate in the uh, championship series. And not exactly an ill-advised send, and of course, uh, Daryl Porter ends up sort of tripping uh, on himself. Interesting thing here is uh, Bob Boone kind of olays it, and on the replay, it almost looks like Porter's foot gets into home plate before the tag, but they kind of, you know, Porter sort of conceded he wasn't going to go in there all Pete Rose and, and barrel Bob Boone over. Um, though, of course, that would have been acceptable based off of the rules back then. Um, but I mentioned that being a momentum changing play because <laughs> what happens here is, is nothing kind of short of incredible for the Phillies. And there's, you know, it kind of goes back to similar to what happened in the championship series where you see the fight of this team and they can do some great things and even make some mistakes but they're able to just fight back and change the narrative of a game. So after a Manny Trio uh, ground out, Larry Boa singles up the middle. And then, you know, Tom Seaver's thinking, well, there ain't no way Boa's going to try to steal second base. And guess what Larry Boa does? He steals second base. Barely. Uh, he's almost thrown out. I mean, the, the Royals almost are a little surprised if they were a little more focused. Larry Boa should have been thrown out by a mile. Uh, but it's a bang-bang play. He gets just in there. That brings up Bob Boone, of course, the son of Ray Boone, and whose who's own children, uh, Brett and Aaron, uh, Aaron, who's the current manager of the, uh, of the Yankees, uh, also played uh, at the big league level. So a three-generation baseball family. Uh, so upsets Bob Boone, who's kind of bruised and hurt, had a really, really rough uh, championship series, had really kind of one of his uh, rougher 
years to his career. I mean, he was an all-star level catcher, uh, but didn't play like that uh, this season. Was really uh, battling injuries. But here he was, you know, he was iced up the, the night before, and he was looking for a way to get his team on the board. Ba-boom. An absolutely wild sequence there for the Phillies. We I mentioned Larry Boa almost getting thrown out down four nothing, but then he scores easily on a Bob Boone double, and Bob Boone barely makes it into second base. Sort of lumbers close play at second, uh, but he's able to hustle through. And then after the base hit, you know the basically it's Lonnie Smith gives himself up. In order for the run to score, and uh, you kind of hear it mentioned there, George Brett just kind of threw the ball to second a little bit too early, um, you know, or not early enough, actually, in my opinion. Uh, what what you would actually want to do there is, okay, you've gotten the ball at third. You have him frozen at third base. So get the ball to second as quickly as possible and then let your shortstop make the decision on whether to throw home or get the runner out or, you know, force the runner back to first base. Um, at the end of the day, it's now a 4-2 ball game. Um, but, I mean, so, and again, it's, like I mentioned this with the Phillies, it reminds me of the championship series where they score runs, tie the game, change the game, but also make mistakes along the way that, that 
seem mind-boggling. And, and this isn't exactly a mistake by Lonnie Smith. It is, it is, it's a calculated play. Uh, and it almost pays off. He almost makes it all the way back to first base. And the run scored, so now it's 4-2. But, you know, it is a waste. You know, outs are precious at the major league level. And you gave away an out here with the heart of the Phillies order coming up. Um, and so that forces the Phillies to sort of reset with two outs. But you got Pete Rose and Mike Schmidt coming up, so you feel pretty good about that. Um, and so Pete Rose, he gets into a one-two count, fouls a couple balls off, and then gets hit by pitch. And that brings up Mike Schmidt. And we we heard at the kind of the top of this, Dennis Leonard wanting to sometimes be careful with Mike Schmidt, not wanting to give in. And he doesn't here. He ends up walking him on five pitches. And that brings in Bake McBride, uh, a guy who they got over. They got Bake McBride. He was on the St. Louis Cardinals. And they got him for uh, Rick Bassetti, Dane Iorg, and Tom Underwood. So that's a trade that eh, the Phillies certainly won. And in a 1-1 count, Bake McBride at the plate, he is going this game that was 4 nothing Royals heading it early on is going to be turned on its head. What a moment for Bake McBride, giving the Phillies the lead early on. And just, we mention all the time how quickly things can change. Little, you know, a ball getting by here, an out not made there, and a few mistakes, and you can have a five spot put on you in an instant. Uh, McBride is able to sit back. You know, he's a guy who's mainly sort of more of a two-hitter, not what you think of as a cleanup hitter. He only had nine home runs. Uh, but drove in quite a lot of runs for uh, for that year, um, you know. But he he sit, sits back. I don't know if it was a slider or a changeup, but it sits up, hangs up in his wheelhouse, down and in, and he blasts it out to left field. And like I said, this this sequence it completely changes. The, you know, the Royals had a chance to tack on, add on more runs. They were up four nothing early you know, could kind of almost run the Phillies out of the building. And just like that, they're trailing. They're trailing in this game. And the happiest guy here is Bob Walk, who, and 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 certainly, actually, probably Dallas Green might be a little bit happier. Um, but Bob Walk is happy because, I mean, if, if Daryl Porter's not thrown out at home plate, like that throw goes awry or, heck, Porter stops at third base, 
Bob Hawk's probably done. I mean, you know, you're, you're, you know, he's given up hit after hit. And so this has reinvigorated him and given him a chance to be like, all right, time to go shut him down. I've got a new lease on life. And that's what he did. You know, facing the bottom of the order, gets Frank White to ground out to first, gets UL Washington to ground out to short to Larry Boa, and then gets Willie Wilson to ground out to Mike Schmidt. And then the Phillies offense went right back to work. Uh, Gary Maddox ends up striking out swinging, uh, but Manny Trio, NLCS MVP, uh, ends up, uh, you know, basically chopping one right up the middle, hits it sort of right off the turf, and it bounces high in the air. No chance at all to throw him out. Uh, then with Larry Boa at the plate, uh, Dennis Leonard actually throws the ball away, letting uh, letting uh, letting Boa get to second base. And then, you know, uh, Larry Boa ends up grounding out to second on a ball. Eh, he hit it in the hole. Frank White makes a really, really brilliant play, um, you know, at the moment saving a run. And so, you know, definitely wouldn't have been a double play ball. But up steps, once again, Bob Boone. Uh, the man who's hobbled, but was once again looking to come through for the Philadelphia Phillies. Sick out, three and one with two outs, trio at third. Base hit on the right field line. Trio scores, boom, rounding first. He's heading for second. He's got his second double of the night. Just a beautiful piece of hitting from Bob Boone, sort of inside outing it down the right field line. With an, and there he is, another double, another RBI. It's always a bonus to get really any sort of offense out of your catcher. Uh, but two doubles, two, two runs driven in, yeah. Philly is looking happy right here. Uh, and that was going to be it for Dennis Leonard, <laughs> sort of the Royals ace. Six runs, not even completing four innings. Really kind of rough uh, World Series debut for Dennis Leonard, who, who pitched such, such an excellent um, game against the Yankees in, in game two of the ALCS. So certainly a bit of a letdown. Uh, Rennie Martin comes in um, and, and is able to get Lonnie Smith out. And uh, we're actually going to go right here into the top of the fifth inning where, you know, so for Bob Walk, reinvigorated, but hey, third time through the order, and you're facing the big dogs here. You got Hal McRae, you got George Brett, and you got Willie Akins. And well, you know, hey, certainly what you want to do here, your team's taking the lead. You want to come at guys. But maybe not exactly like this. But when you've got the likes of Fake McBride and Gary Maddox out there to run to run balls down, 
you can afford to be pretty aggressive. That guy, the inventor of the game, whomever it is, <laughs> and it varies. Didn't know what he was doing when he laid out that diamond right there. Mm. You put more frustration into those 90 feet oh, pass net. 60 foot 6 inches that any man could ever create. I know that. I think if Rip Van Winkle was a baseball fan, he could wake up, come here, and somebody would tell him what the artificial surface was, the high salaries, and nothing would change. The DH, I know oh, you oh, would say that. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's 6 to 4. The Phillies lead over the Royals. Kansas City on two home runs, one by Otis, one by Aiken, jumped off to a four to nothing lead. McCray, right field, hits it hard. McBride back to the warning track. The ball is carried up against the ball. It's got it. The ball just kept, kept on going. McBride found that wall and just leans back after he makes the catch. At warning track, a great thing because your feet, you can feel it. Your feet tells your brain, hey, we're getting close to danger here. Let's get out of here. He had enough room, makes the catch. So now it's George Brett. First inning, he fouled the Schmidt at third, and then he was called out on strikes on a wicked breaking ball from Bob Walk. That was in the third. Kansas City, four runs, five hits. They've committed one error. That by Leonard, a wild pickoff throw. Philly six runs, six hits. Brett, fly ball, right center field. Maddox back to the wall again. He oh, no! Odd play by Gary Maddox. He just might be the best in the major leagues, and he might have proved it with that catch. Walker started Brett out three times on fastballs, and it looks like he got that one up from George just a little bit where George couldn't get it all. Maddox, of course... Tony, as you say, an outstanding, if not the most outstanding center field in baseball makes a beautiful catch. Well, I think when you watch Maddox and see where he starts from, because he plays relatively shallow, and he was shading Brett about, well, he's about straight away on him, so he had a long way to go to right center field. But there are two outs on two balls hit fairly well, and now it'll be Willie Mays Aiken, a fly ball and a two-run home run in the third. What a tremendous, tremendous play. By Gary Maddox there, and two—I mean, two balls hit right to the wall. Uh, Bob Walk's not fooling anybody uh, there, uh, and uh, you know, two balls put a charge into. But like I said, when you've got when you got outfielders who can run them down, it, the main thing is just keep it in the ballpark, baby. That's all you got to do. Um, and uh, you know, uh, Bob Walk's able actually to strike out Willie Akins here, um, and to get the team back on offense, put the pressure right back on the Royals. And, uh, you know, in this in this bottom of the fifth, you know, Rennie Martins, uh, the guy who's come in, uh, one of the things that he struggled with, he, you know, he was a starter for most of the year, but he kind of really struggled with command. That's why they, he wasn't going to be trusted as, you know, one of the top starters uh, in the playoff rotation. And, well, it, uh, his command gets the best of him here. Mike Schmidt ends up walking. Big McBride uh, getting a single to left field. Lazinski actually ends up getting hit by pitch. And that brings up Gary Maddox up with the bases loaded. So, you know, Gary Maddox, if you remember, had the game-winning hit in the NLCS. And here he was with a chance to add on for his team. with a throw home. He goes to third. So now the Phillies have the lead 7-4. to four. 
Rich drives in another run, seven to four. You can always feel great about your team turning a four nothing deficit into a three run lead, fighting back, and and that's just what the Phillies do, putting the pressure on, not afraid. I mean, you know. Obviously, a lot of credit here goes to Bob Walk to figuring it out, and he continues to figure it out over the next couple of innings. Um, but, you know, tremendous credit to the offense and for them to fight. Uh, they're, they're just – the Phillies are a team that just won't go away. Uh, you got to love that about this 1980 Phillies team. And, you know, a lot of that's from, you know, kind of your, your, your fiery leaders, you know, like a Bob Boone, like a Pete Rose, Michael Jack Schmidt. Uh, guys who really sort of press the issue forward, um, and and hey, the Royals—they weren't looking to—they weren't uh, going to go down without a fight either. Uh, I did mention, of course, Bob Walk. You know, he really turns his day around with what, what started as a really rough day. Hey, he keeps setting guys down, sets the side down in order in the sixth, um, is able to work around a Frank White single in the seventh. Um, the Phillies, you know, they end up getting some more base runners in these innings, not really ever clean uh, for Rennie Martin uh, in the sixth or the seventh, but not really threatening uh, too much. So it's kind of not so much hard contact. There's kind of infield singles and sort of flares, uh, but they're not able to add on from the 7-4 lead. And so that brings us to the top of the eighth. So Greg Gross comes in. Uh, we mentioned Lonnie Smith, although he threw out a, a, a runner out at home plate in this game. Um, you know, late in games, they were going to go with Gross sort of as a defensive, as a late inning defensive replacement. Um, and uh, George Brett's up at the plate. Bob Walk gets in a two strike count, but then leaves a fastball kind of just right over the middle. George Brett with a patented left center frozen rope to the gap uh, goes all the way to the wall, and Brett's in with a double. Um, and that brings in Willie Akins, the guy who, uh, guy who crushed the ball earlier in this game has had just good swing after good swing. Even, even the strikeout he had back in the fifth was great swing after great swing, got some really good looks. Bob Walk is not fooling him. And then after, you know, there's a wild pitch ball bounces away. Brett's on third base. Willie Akins was looking to come through yet again for Kansas city and make this game just a little bit closer. Deep to right field. McBride is going back. This ball may be out of here. Home run, Willie Mays Ankins. His second home run of the ball game. And if he's not tired, he's going to be tired after that shot. Willie Mays Ankins really into a trot, just now getting to second base. It's a 7-5 seven to, seven to five ball game. 7-6. Seven, Jackson do it in the fall so very often when he knows it's gone and Aikens is coming close to rest. Have a day, Willie Aikens. Have a day. 
two home runs, four RBIs, just absolutely crushing another fastball to right center field, no doubter, and bringing this to a one-run game. How about that? I mean, come on. Um, you know, Willie Aiken certainly doing his part, and, and you know, the Royals, hey, you, you put up six runs, including three home runs. You feel pretty darn good. You feel like you should be winning that ball game, and, you know, it was just that third inning from Dennis Leonard. It got away, got away from the whole team really fast, but they're doing their best to, to fight and stay in it. And so, you know, that's going to be it for Bob Walk. Um, it, it's very interesting. That's the last pitch that Bob Walk would ever throw as a Philadelphia Philly. And if you recall, he's a rookie. This is this is his first year in the big leagues. He's throwing game one of the World Series as a rookie. But he would be traded sort of right before the, the next season started. He'd be traded in spring training in 1981 to the Atlanta Braves for Sarge, Gary Matthews. Uh, the Phillies were looking for, for more outfield depth. And, uh, I mean, that's just one of the things of, man, the, the last pitch he ever threw in Philadelphia and with a Phillies uniform on was a home run. But, hey. He's still in line for the win. Uh, small little aside, another aside about Bob Walk. Uh, he would actually end up getting released by the Braves a couple of years later um, and re- like really struggled as a reliever for them. Um, was not, I mean, just plainly not a very good pitcher. He would go on in the late 80s and early 90s to be an all-star pitcher. He caught on with the Pittsburgh Pirates and sort of with those upstart Jim Leland Pirates in the late 80s, early 90s, and was one of their better pitchers. Just kind of a fun little thing about Bob Walk, uh, who, hey, here's this guy who started game one of the World Series, only the third rookie to ever start game one of the World Series, and he never threw another pitch in Philadelphia. How about that? (laughs) Um, But that means it's time for Tug McGraw. Yet another day, going to be asking him for multiple outs and Hey, you know, he, who knows what's going to happen here with Tug McGraw. Um, He's able to get Daryl Porter to fly out to left. And then Amos Otis gets a base hit. Amos Otis having a heck of a day. Uh, Hal McCray's had a heck of a day. I mean, just just a really, really good ball game uh, between these two teams. But that, uh, you know, Clint Hurdle was a left-handed hitting batter, so they're going to bring in John Wathen and – you know, one of the things of when you're playing on turf, you want to try to get ground balls. And Tug McGraw wasn't like an especially like a sinker baller, but he knew how to, you know, when he needed a ground ball, he had the stuff to get it. Time run. very quickly a breaking ball down that Watson pounds in the turf Boa bare hands it shows the ball and look at that flip from down under low bridge the runner and he had allowed him to throw we saw that in the championship series game on a relay so we go into the bottom half of the eighth inning look at this flip lot on it the score Philadelphia seven Kansas City six one thing I want to highlight is both of these teams 
up the middle were tremendous defensively with, uh, with Washington and White. Uh, and then, oh, of course, Otis in center field, kind of gold gloves galore. And then you see Boa and, uh, and Trio, great, great double play tandem, flipping it over to Rose. You can tell he's fired up. He basically spikes the ball, uh, you know, sort of towards the mound and, you know, gives a fist pump. You know, when, uh, when Bake McBride hit that home run, Pete Rose was up there pumping his fist, pointing to the crowd, firing people up. Uh, you know, that's a big moment there. I mean, if we just remember to this last series where it just seemed like the Phillies, you know, they wouldn't go down without a fight, but they just also couldn't seem to close anybody out. Uh, they really kind of struggled in, in multiple games with that. And, you know, this is a much more kind of fortuitous sign. Uh, for Philadelphia in this game. Uh, and one thing I'll mention again, Gary Maddox, actually, I think he had won five straight gold gloves at this point. So really great defense on both of these teams. I mean, just really, that's why I love these teams so much, both 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 of these, uh, both of these teams, and so excited to cover this series because, man, you get to see some darn, darn good baseball uh, from them. Great, great base running, great defense, Great pitching, great power, um, man. Uh, and uh, you know, in the bottom of the eighth, uh, the they they kind of continue to sort of put the pressure on uh, Bob Boone. That man again, Bob Boone picks up his third hit of the day. How about that? And uh, that's actually it for Rennie Martin. But um, Greg Gross uh, ends up grounding out against Dan Quisenberry. Actually, a really really nice play by UL Washington there. Uh, to uh, you know, keep the game where it is, and that brings us to the ninth—a one-run game. Uh, but it's the bottom of the order, and uh, Frank White ends up grounding out to third. Uh, U.L. Washington puts up together puts together a really, really good at bat. Um, but uh, Tug McGraw is able to get you know fire a fastball in there, get him looking, and that brings in Willie Wilson, top of the order, really. <laughs> You know, a guy who you want to keep off base because you know he's going to be stealing it. And that's really with, with White and Washington. It's like this was a very key thing for McGraw is, hey, we can't, I can't let any of these guys get on base because they're probably going to be on second. You know, especially with Boone dealing with his injuries. McGraw is a little bit deliberate to the plate, not the quickest to the plate. Um, and, you know, you just, you just don't want this game going any further. You don't want Hal McRae coming up. You don't want to be seeing George Brett or Willie Akins. The time to get it done is right now. And Wilson puts up a battle. It, it ends up being a seven-pitch battle. Fallon pitches off, 2-2 two -two count. And Tug McGraw is going to close this one out. Take a listen uh, to the crowd here. A little note, the broadcasters don't call the pitch. And then the video just the video I had just ends, but you can just hear the roar of the the crowd. You know what happens here. Two balls, two strikes, two outs. Top of the ninth, Philadelphia leading seven six. Tug McGraw against Willie Wilson. I imagine what Garagiola or Kubek was trying to say 
is something along the lines of McGraw delivers, strike three, swing in. Wilson misses it. The Phillies take game one, seven to six. Bob Walk ends up getting the win despite giving up three home runs. Dennis Leonard charged with the loss, and the Phillies are going to look to retain home field advantage in game two. What a, you know, what a, what a tight ball game this was. A real, you know, looked like a game that was going to be decided early. And then the Phillies fought right back, changed the tune of the game, changed the narrative, were able to sort of support their rookie pitcher, pick him up. And he was, and, and, you know, yeah, seven innings, six runs, three home runs is not a great outing by any stretch of the imagination, but it's more of what he did in between that, you know, being able to get them seven innings, how important that was given how gassed the bullpen was. I mean, the Phillies needed a breather. They needed a couple of days and, you know, they, they would never outright, you know, say it, but I don't know if Philadelphia was expecting to win this one. Uh, and certainly the Royals feel that they, that they let this one get away, that this was a game, man, we're going up against a rookie pitcher. We had a four nothing lead and we just, we just gave this to Philly. You know, in the World Series, you can't let that happen. Every every game matters. Um, you know, and uh, but I think this was this type of game of if you had told Phillies fans, hey, Bob Watt came out and uh, he struggled and uh, we got we got beaten game one. Yeah, that that would have been understandable. But if you're you know <laughs> when you're looking at the Royals thing, it's like wait, we hit three home runs off of a rookie pitcher. And we had Dennis Leonard going and we lost? Oh, man. Almost would feel a little despondent. Um, but anyway, I mean, that's the thing is, you can't win the World Series with one game. And we've seen teams have routes. We've seen teams have tremendous, tremendous wins. And then there's still the rest of the series to go to. And hey, I mean, that's the thing about baseball is there's tomorrow. and the Royals, you got to figure it out because, hey, you're facing lefty. Got Steve Carlton going. And for the Royals, you're facing Larry Gura. This is going to be, a, I mean, that's just a wonderful, wonderful matchup. Can't wait to cover that one. Um, what I mean, just so many tremendous things happened in this game. I mean, think about the joy for Bake McBride to come through in that moment, hitting that home run. Bob Boone, you know, Hey, you know he's gonna feel feel uh, the the pains a lot a lot less when uh, you're running around the bases and getting hits and winning ball games. So, looking forward to covering the rest of this series. Gonna cover game two in the following episode. So as always, catch you next time on Fall Classic Rewind.